This morning at, at Mass, um, I really enjoyed being in the sacristy. If you don't know what the sacristy is, the sacristy is where the, the priest prepares for Mass, puts his vestments on and stuff. Um, but I really enjoyed being back there because, like, the whole church was shaking. Um, so at the, at the Mass in the morning, we're over at St. Peter's at Most Blessed Sacrament. They've, they've offered us that site. And Quinn was just, like, making it a base fest in there. It was awesome. So as, as I was there, it kind of reminded me of like when I was like a, a, a probably like seventh, eighth grade in a little bit of high school. I used to DJ and I, I really enjoyed um, just feeling just the whole church just kind of rattle. It was really, really awesome. So thank you for that. Um, has nothing to do with anything, but sometimes I start my homily with random thoughts because that's just kind of the way my brain works. Um, but I, I don't really know what makes you feel welcome when you come to a place and, and you're kind of new to a place. But one thing that makes me feel welcome, or at least lets me know you're paying attention, is if you laugh. Um, Marie likes to laugh at some things I say. It helps me know she's paying attention. So I just think that's a sign of like you feel welcome here. So if you want to laugh today, please laugh. Cause I'm, I'm going to tell some jokes that I think are funny, but you might not. Um, also, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about my conversion story and how I felt called to be a priest. And sometimes like, it gets emotional for me, and I, I get a little bit like, teary-eyed. And if, if it does that for you, I just want to say, feel free, because we want this to be your home. You know, because sometimes I wonder what you're thinking. Why should I even listen to that guy up there? Like, what does he have to say? I, I don't really know him from, from Adam, really, right? So I just want to introduce myself. You know, so I'm Father Zach, and... Uh, I come from Sheboygan, which is about an hour uh, east of here, roughly. And um, it's also called recently on billboards, the Malibu of the Midwest. Now, I don't know if that's more offensive to like Sheboygan or Malibu. I'm not really sure. Um, but it's called that. And I, I kind of grew up in that area. And I'm the youngest of four. And being the youngest, you're obviously the favorite, but you also get picked on a lot. So if you would have seen me like three or four years old, sometimes I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have makeup all over my face for my older siblings and I'd be in a dress and I wouldn't be very happy. And they're wondering, why is Zach cranky today? Um, and that was a lot, a lot of the reasons why. But because I got picked on a lot and my dad was always kind of like, you know, just saying, just kind of knock it off, guys. Like, it's enough. I learned how to put up armor pretty quickly to say, I'm hurting, but I can't take it anymore. And that kind of became a theme throughout my life. You know, uh, growing up, I know I was from, from a, very, a family that was, you know, Catholic in name, but not in heart. We would go to mass uh, most times. You know, my mom and, my mom and dad um, tried their best to get us to mass almost every Sunday. But sometimes, um, you know, my mom, she was born and raised Lutheran. She converted to Catholic faith, but she wasn't all in. And maybe that's where you are. And sometimes she would say things like, I'm Catholic, but... It, I'm not that Catholic, all right? So there'd be some Sundays where she would just kind of take me and we'd say, yeah, we're going to church. We'd go to McDonald's, get like an apple streusel or whatever the heck they made that morning. And then we'd just kind of sit by Lake Michigan and watch the water for an hour in silence, which is like kind of weird as a Catholic to do because you can do that anytime, but you can't do this. Um, my dad was really patient with her, you know, and I'll, 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 that's where I get a lot of my patience from because some people are like, well, Father, what's what's, what's hammer at home today, but like, I, I've just learned patience just works the best. And growing up, um, you know, going in like high school or middle school and high school, um, I found a lot of attention by being kind of a class clown and, and a little bit of a bully. 
And it just kind of gave me attention because I was, I was so starved for it. I was just starving for attention almost always. And as I was uh, going through high school, um, you know, I did the thing. Like I played sports and played baseball, basketball, football, track, all that fun stuff. Um, but I kind of eventually learned to do what the culture told me to do. You know, where's the party? Where are the girls? And what sport are you playing? It's kind of the, the thing I did. Uh, but I also got in trouble by trying to be a class clown. I got suspended twice in high school. Yep, not once but twice, and I'm, I made it here. Um, <laughs> if you want to know how I got suspended, um, you'd be very blessed if I tell you how. But it's actually not that bad, but I did get suspended twice, in my opinion. Um, I may or may not have been tampering with grades, but I didn't think it was that big of a deal. <laughs> but I can remember when I got confirmed. You know, I, I do remember that, and um, it wasn't a really big deal. I, I just remember my dad just saying to me, this is more important than graduating from high school, which I was just like, no way. Like, I want to get out of here. Like, that's really important. Um, but I couldn't remember him saying that at confirmation. And I was good enough uh, in baseball to, to play college baseball. And I went to Madison Tech my freshman year. And while I was there, um, my oldest brother called me because I was, at the time I was working at the fitness center at school at Madison Tech, and I was also working at Old Navy. Maybe you've heard of it. And he called me on Super Bowl Sunday of my freshman year in college. And he said, Zach, do you have a little bit of time? I said, yes, I do. He said, what's up? And my brother PJ just said, does Old Navy make any congratulations? You are going to be an uncle t-shirts. So then in my head, I start searching through the aisles of the men's section, because I've never seen this shirt before. And in the world we live in today, let's just scoot on over to the women's section. Why not? And I didn't see it. So I said, no, I, I don't think they do. And mind you, he's standing next to his wife and my parents while he's making this phone call to me. And then he said, let me ask you one more time. Just listen very closely. Zach, does Old Navy make any congratulations? You are going to be an uncle t-shirts. <laughs> And I said, dude, I just told you. No, they don't. I will drive to the store and I'll find out if they make these t-shirts or not. <laughs> so then he asks me, now this is him speaking to me. And he says, do you remember when Jen and I got married? I'm like, yeah, I remember. I was there. And he said, um, okay, so just pay attention. We got married, right? You got that? <laughs> okay. And I said, yes. Okay, got it. And he said, I'm going to ask you one more time. I'm going to make it very easy for you. But just listen, Okay. And I said, okay. And he said, does Old Navy make any congratulations? You, Zachary, Andrew Weber, are going to be an uncle t-shirts. Which I responded with, dude, I don't know. I just told you two times. I will call headquarters and I'll find out if they make these stinking t-shirts. I don't know why you keep asking me this question. He just said, well, I just, told, I just asked you about Jen and I getting married. So I just want to let you know that just listen here. So Jen and I got married. After we got married, we moved in together. Uh, we've been trying to have a baby. So um, we've conceived. And in nine months, we're going to have a baby. Are you following? And I said, yes, I'm following. And he said, nine months, you'll be called Uncle Zach. And we just called to say congratulations. And I said, well, why didn't you just say so? And I said, it didn't seem to make any sense to me. Uh, so I always had a, I had a listening problem. And then usually the next logical question is, well, how in the heck did you hear God or sense God calling you? Which is what I want to talk to you about today.
And that's a true story, by the way. That, that literally happened. Um, so if, I, if I'm ever not listening, just kind of slap me, and I'll, I'll, I'll wake up. Anyways, um, later that year, during my sophomore year, my, my niece, Madeline Grace, is born. And I can remember holding her for the first time on October 6th of 2006 and just having this sense of, wow, like life might not be all about me. Being the youngest in a family, it's a natural thing to say, hey, I want a younger sibling. I would love to have a younger sibling. And I just, I remember holding her and having this, like, this moment of like, wow, life might, might not be about me. And I, I can't go into graphic detail, but I can tell you that night the devil came after me with temptations of the flesh. And then kind of like going a couple months forward, my brother called me again, and this time I was listening. My brother PJ called me, and he was listening to Relevant Radio a lot. Now, Relevant Radio is a Catholic radio station actually started in, in Green Bay, of all places. And he's learning about the faith, and his heart's getting set on fire, and it's calling him to be a better man. And he hears about this event happening, the first one ever, in Milwaukee called the Men of Christ Conference. And he asked me if I wanted to go, and I was like, sure. But like deep down, like I wasn't happy. <laughs> now, I'm playing college baseball. You know, I'm in my second year of college, and I thought college would be much better than it really was. Because, you know, I'm supposed to be like happy as can be, but I'm just not. I'm not even happy with the person I'm becoming. I'm not really enjoying the cattiness of like the baseball team. And, you know, my thoughts going into this conference, it's kind of like kumbaya, Barney Jesus, God has a balloon. Let's all hold hands and have a good time. That's like my opinion of the faith, uh, which is probably why it didn't affect me. But I went to that conference and 3,000 men showed up. And the master of ceremony standing right where I was with 3,000 men in front, of him, in front of them said these words, gentlemen, after today, your lives will never be the same. And I can just remember being like, whoa. I didn't know Jesus people talked like that, right? But then he said it again, gentlemen, after today, your lives will never be the same. And he had my attention. The first speaker came out and his name's Jesse Romero. And if you've ever heard Jesse Romero speak, he probably would push most people away because he's so on fire. And I'm just thinking like, what? After he spoke like 45 minutes, I'm like, what was that? I didn't know Christians could speak like that. I don't know if I even knew what the word Christian was like at that point in my life. But I just was like, whoa. Like very much like, whoa. <laughs> Wowed, so to speak. And then the next speaker who was introduced when he, when he came out, when he came out, I saw something I'd never seen before. It was a priest who had brown hair. In my naivete, I thought priests, their natural disposition in life was you have to be at least 65 or 70 years old. You must be balding. You must have white hair. And you've got to be incredibly boring. Like, let's just, let's just be honest. But this priest, you know, he lit a fire in my heart. You know, he was passionate. I was not. He was funny. I still am not, you know. But he has what I want. He has passion and zeal for life. And I'm like realizing I'm living a pretty crooked and empty life. And he starts talking about what the culture says, what it means to be a man, to like, you know, be a womanizer, to drink, to party, to have cars, to have a house, all this stuff. But as he's like talking about what it means to be a man, he's taking that image of the, of the world's view of what it means to be a man and flipping it. And as he's flipping it 
I see that. I see the crucified Christ. And I'm just like, that's what it means to be a man. To lay down your life for others. To be sacrificial, right? And he said, if you want to be a man of God, and I'm like, I'm like hook, line, sinker. Like, like, yep, I'm in. Like, let's go. And he says, if you want to be a man of God, surrender your life to Christ in the confessional today. And I'm like, Psh, that's all I got to do? Like, just go to confession? Like, that's not a big deal. So I did. And, you know, I didn't have any baggage going into confession. I mean, I don't know if you've had a, a negative experience, but if you have, I just, on behalf of the Catholic Church, I just want to say I'm sorry. Because, like, that confession changed my life. And as we're going to confession, there's, like, three priests kind of in the area we're in a line. And there's, like, one priest. He looks kind of nice. And there's another priest over here. He looks kind of nice. And there's, like, one in the middle. And he's, like, 6'5", 6'7"-ish. And like 300 pounds, he's got a beard like out to here. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll go to anyone but him. And I went to him. Um, and, you know, he just like literally scared the sin like right out of me. Because he was so aggressive telling me how nasty. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, he's incredibly compassionate. And I had, I had no idea what I was doing. I don't even know if I would have used the word sin for the things I was doing that were wrong. But you don't have to be a Catholic to know some of these things are wrong. I was doing things that were, were very wrong. Some things that would probably make you blush. And be like, he's a priest? But I had to start somewhere. And I, and, I, and I said, I'm here to surrender my life. And I just felt that lift. You know that lift of when you have like a really good confession or you've been away for a long time. And I just felt that lift of, of, of just the burden being gone. And then the next thing I heard that day was, or speaker I heard was a priest who was clinically dead for three hours. Where are my nursing students? Is that possible, pH levels? Can you clinically be dead for three hours and come back to life? Probably not, right? <laughs> and he did. <laughs> so, and I'm hearing this, and as he's talking, I'm literally getting angry inside because I'm wondering, how come nobody ever presented this gospel to me my whole life? When I'm sitting over here struggling and wasting my life, really. And then it came time for Mass. Now, I wish I could say I, I knew what the mass was, you know, it was, it was great, but it, you know, it wasn't the music, music that particular day. It wasn't the readings. I, I love the word, but it was what we do on this altar at every single mass that, that just changed my life forever. And as Cardinal Dolan, who is Archbishop of Milwaukee at the time, he's at the altar, and they're, they're setting the altar with bread and wine like we do every single mass I start to feel this presence around me. And then my natural disposition is to say, this is fake. I'm concocting this in my mind. It's all imaginary. I'm, I'm, I'm making this up. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. But then I'm kind of hearing that voice in my head say, remember that guy at the beginning of the day who said your life will never be the same after today? And there's 3,000 men kneeling as the Eucharistic prayer is beginning. And there's bread and wine on the altar, and he calls down the Holy Spirit like we do every single Mass, just like this. And I just feel like the whole room change. And he has bread in his hands, and he says, this is my body. In my whole life, I thought it was just a piece of bread. And, and, I, and I, I just know 
for, for some way that that's Jesus. I know it's him. I, 100%, no doubts in mind, I know that that piece of bread has been transformed somehow into Jesus. And all I feel is love. And I don't want it. Like he's breaking through my heart. I just feel so much love coming from that Eucharistic host. And it was like tears and snot bubbles. It was gross. But I, I just felt so loved. And I couldn't believe God would do that for me. And as he's offering Jesus to the Father, as he's holding Jesus up like we do every single Mass, I hear in my heart, not like externally, but in my heart, I hear the words, this is the purpose of life. And you are called to be a priest. And like I knew it was like the plan, but I didn't want it because I didn't know anything. My catechetical level was probably like, I don't know, like a three or four year old. Like I didn't know much. Like I didn't really know a Hail Mary at all. I didn't know what the glory be was. I could probably stumble through an Our Father. You want to like rewind like back to my freshman year in high school when I only, the first time I ever went to confession and the only time before this, the priest gave me a penance of three Hail Marys. So I'm a dude, right? So if you're a dude, you're thinking NFL, Madden, and you're thinking, why in the world would this priest want me to pick up a football and throw it as far as I can three times? Like, what does that accomplish in life, right? So like, that's how I kind of come into this whole, whole plan. So, so immediately what the devil did is he started playing tricks on me because I didn't know anything. I didn't know what discernment was. I didn't know what vocations were. I didn't know what, how to pray. And I kind of prayed like this, like, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do except for, go, except for be a priest. And, you know, I got into a lot of things. I can't get into details because I don't want to scare you. But like, I was doing drugs. I was partying. I was stealing from work. And the devil was just whispering all these lies in my heart. And I'm feeling more empty and more empty and more empty. And then it's eventually, um, during my junior year, I, I just I couldn't take it anymore because the, the the environment of like my college area where I was living was so dark, so incredibly dark. I had to tell my family I was thinking of being a priest, and it's, it was so scary to tell them I'm thinking about this because my, my fear was not celibacy. That was not my issue. My fear was what are other people going to say about me when they find out I'm thinking of being a priest because they know my past, how I was a class clown, how I used to drink and party and do illegal things. They they know all that. What are, what are people going to say about me? Because mind you, I'm starved for attention. And I only knew how to receive it in negative ways. And I can remember that drive back. Now I'm at Upper Iowa University, my junior year in college. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about not playing college baseball anymore. And I can remember that drive back. It's like a five-hour drive, four-and-a-half, five-hour drive. And I'm listening to Christian music. It's pretty corny, but it's like the best there is at the time. It's much better now. Count your blessings. But I can remember, I was like crying like the whole way home because I'm finally like dealing with reality for the first time in my life. Like I'm just dealing with reality. And a week after I told my family and drove home and spent a little time with them. And a week after that, just the devil came after me. And I found myself in the hospital for the next two years with collapsed lungs for, for our nursing students, spontaneous pneumothoraxes. How does it happen? I just told you, it's spontaneous. They don't really know, right? <laughs> But I firmly believe it was attacked from the devil. But like literally, like the way things looked, like my soul, it was like a collapsed lung because the things I was doing were so dirty, so nasty, so disgusting, my soul was like on life support. 
And being on the hospital bed was really what I needed because I was so prideful. I needed to let, let myself be taken care of and stop trying to do everything on my own. I got this. I don't need your help. No, I'm okay when I'm really suffering. But finally, I can't run from my problems anymore. And the church took care of me, you know, brought me communion, anointed me. Seminarians would come by and, and pray. I don't even know who these guys are, and they're, they're just being so good to me. And eventually what they would do is they'd, they'd take the top third of my lung and, like, literally clip it off. And they would take talcum powder and, like, glue my, my, my lung to my chest cavity. But there was one time when I was, like, really at a bad point in the hospital because, because the, the, they, what they do is they usually, take a chest, they usually take a chest tube, stick it into your side so your lung can reinflate, which is, like, not very pleasant, just to put it lightly. And there was one time where the, where, the, where the tube was sticking through my pectoral muscle and it was so painful, I was like, I want to die. I don't want this. So I literally surrendered and kind of on my Blackberry, that's what I had time. This, you can, now you know how old I am. Yeah. On my Blackberry, I'm writing like on my notes like my deathbed letter. Like, I want to jump off the fence, Jesus. I don't want to be wishy-washy in my faith anymore. I'm so sick of it. And if this is what it takes, I guess that's what it takes because I'm so prideful. For the next, you know, that two-year period, there was a lot of suffering, but... I eventually graduated with a degree in psychology. Somehow, I still don't know how I did it. Because there's like one semester where I literally took like 23 credits. I don't even know how I did that. Like, God was like really in my life, blessing me abundantly. Because there was one point during my junior year where I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. I was like, holy crap, I can actually graduate. Thank you, Jesus. Because I was not really enjoying college. Maybe you enjoy college, but I didn't. Because I didn't have something like this. I didn't have a Newman Center. I didn't have community. I didn't have Bible studies. Didn't have that. It was like me and two other dudes on the baseball team. Um, and typically we were doing negative, negative, awful things most times. And as I was, I was like getting close to graduating, um, you know, I met a girl. I was like, she's pretty. Like really, really like pretty, pretty. And I'm thinking like as I'm kind of like quasi dating her, just have this feeling of injustice in my heart. Like wondering, is it fair to her? Jesus, that you're calling me to be a priest? Like, is that fair? And I told her, no, I can't date you anymore. I have to pursue this call of the priesthood. And I applied for the archdiocese in Milwaukee. Mind you, like, that was like a new thing for me. Like, what is an archdiocese? What is a diocese? I didn't know any of this language, but I applied anyways. And I didn't get accepted. And I can, the only way I can kind of explain that to you, like what that felt like, it's almost like, you get on your knee to propose to a girl and you put the ring out and you say, will you marry me? And she just says, absolutely not. <laughs> Which is like not a very good feeling. But in that time, I really felt I had, I had to go to seminary. I just was very convicted that the Lord called me to be a priest. And I applied to the Diocese of Green Bay and just kind of slid under the door like tons of red flags. Like this guy's screwed up. He doesn't know anything. Um, <laughs> like I slid under the door. And the Lord was so good to me in seminary. Like, so healing. Because, like, I didn't even really know how to read. Like, I could look at words, but I would just be, like, looking at words. I couldn't memorize anything. And, like, the Lord was just so patient with me and so good to me and healed me so much, you know. I, and I love seminary. I wouldn't trade my time in seminary for anything in the world. You know, like, 
to be able to go to France for eight days, to go to Guatemala for eight weeks to learn to speak Spanish. Yo hablo un poquito español, pero yo necesito más practicar. That's like all I know, okay? So don't think I'm good. Um, to be able to go to the Holy Land for 10 weeks, right? To walk the steps of Jesus, like, I didn't deserve any of that. And then be ordained a priest, like, it's been, it's been so good. And, and for the past three years, being a priest and now being here, um, you know, I just want to say I love being a priest. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I just want to just briefly look at our first reading today. It's from the book of Sirach. I love the book of Sirach. Uh, it's from a, a, a dad writing to his son, Ben Sirach writing to his son. The last line just really stood out to me. It says, think of the commandments, hate not your neighbor, remember the most High's covenant, and overlook faults. And the Lord has overlooked so many of my faults and healed me and set me free. And I, I think he wants to do the same for a lot of you. And sometimes we're just, so, we're just so hard on ourselves. And the Lord is patient, he's gentle, he's kind, he's merciful, and we're so hard on ourselves. And the Lord is kind, he's patient, he's loving, he's merciful, and then we're so hard on ourselves. We're kind of like in the gospel today, the servant who's forgiven, and then we go choke other people. You know what I mean? You know what? I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life, but I just want to invite you to say yes to invitations this fall. And if I would have said no to that invitation from my brother, I don't know if I'd be here. And I might be in a really dark place. I don't even know if I'd be living. Like, really, I was going down a pretty dark, dark place. But I just want to encourage you, you know, we're going to offer, like, Bible studies. And if you're not involved in one, I want to, I want to encourage you to say yes, because we need community. You know, I was so blessed to have my brother, but, like, we didn't have much. But at least we had each other. But if I would have had something like this, and if I knew what I knew now, I'd be like, so can we have like a Bible study like every night? Because every night is when I do bad things. And I need to be out of that, right? I need accountability. I need someone to show me and mentor for me to get my butt in the library and hold me accountable to go study on Friday and Saturday so I can literally rest on Sunday. I need, I need accountability. I need somebody to call me out for when I post stupid stuff on social media. Call me out of my sin and call me to sainthood. So that's my, my invitation to you. And I don't, I don't know where you're at, but I know the Lord can do amazing things. I know he has really, really big plans for your life because if he can do that with me, just by just saying, I surrender everything to you, Lord, in the, in the confessional, like he did a lot with that. And it was one day where I realized God existed because I always thought God was out in the clouds. I didn't know, like the one thing I just never really understood growing up was the fact that Jesus was God. Like I just didn't get that. I knew that the Jesus was son of God, but I didn't know that Jesus was God and that he would do that for me. And all I felt was love coming from that Eucharistic host. And I still feel it. And sometimes I wonder if you do. You're still loved. The message never gets old. And if he loves you, he expects you to love your neighbor in return. And not only does he want you to like look at him in the Eucharist, he, like, he wants to be in you. He wants his love to be in you so you can change the world. Because we're called to forgive from the heart, right? Last thing. My sophomore year, I dated a girl named Kelly. 
and we fell in love. She was a freshman, I was a sophomore. And uh, eventually, in that relationship, I found myself wanting more. Not like sexually or weird, awkward stuff, but I was like, I just knew like there was like a deeper love out there. But I didn't know how to deal with it, so I decided to break up with her. And it was like really amazing how like so many guys became like vultures around her. And like, I became very angry at her. And I was really nasty to her, her sophomore year and her junior year. Even when I came back from college, I was downright mean and nasty to her because I was good at putting armor up. But Jesus made all the difference. And there's a year, like a little bit after I graduated, uh, we were at an event and, and, and Kelly was there. And a lot of my friends were there. And she's just kind of by herself. And I just feel the Lord saying, are you going to start living the gospel? Are you going to start living the gospel? Because readings like this were coming up or were called to forgive. And I just went up to her and I said, um, it's probably the first time I talked to her besides, besides talking behind her back. But the first time I went to talk to her, probably since we dated, right? And I just said to her, hey, Kelly, um, I've, done some, I've, I've been absolutely horrible to you. I've been nasty to you. And I just want to say I am so sorry for what I've done to you and how mean I've been to you. And her jaw just dropped. And she just said, I've been waiting to hear those words because I know there's good in you. And she forgave me. And the freedom that has come from that because of Jesus, I hope you all can experience it. I really do. But just say yes to invitations, especially to holy things. I can still talk to her this day, and there's no, there's like, there's like no tension between us when there used to be always be tension. And Jesus was in the tension. I didn't know that. So we do at mass, is we place all our unforgiveness, all of our stuff on the altar, and the Lord transforms it. He transforms it. That's what He does. He transforms hearts. And he says, this is my body given up for you. Now you're called to do that in return. So let's just take a moment of silence. Like, what do you need? How's life going for you? Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be like me, trying to do it on my own. It doesn't work. We need community. We need family. We need friends. Let us take a moment to actually live the gospel to knowing we have a God who overlooks faults and to start forgiving from the heart because that's where Jesus forgives us from, his Eucharistic heart. And when, he, when I hold up that host at this mass, I just pray in my heart that you feel loved and you know that you're loved always. Amen.